pray. <laughs> so, Father, thank you for this morning. And I just want to say bless each father and bless the dedication of the children. And as we know that when we dedicate things to you, that you will always remember it in heaven. And so we thank you, Lord, for this day. And thank you for being a great father in heaven for us, that your love goes even beyond in what we think and believe in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, this morning um, when we were going through the Apostles' Creed, the first, uh, when we're, we had to break up the Apostles' Creed, and the, I had volunteered myself to do this one because I thought it was the easiest one to do of all the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> but I've learned through a lot as I've been studying this also. Um, we all know this, that number one, that we all sin. How many of us know that we all sin? Okay, you're in the right place. Because the Bible says that all of us sin and come short of the glory of God. That's our nature. And, you know, I found that out when I was growing up. Um, when I became a Christian, and I seen a uh, circumstance that happened where somebody blew up. I, I can't remember exactly. It was either my family or friend. They got super angry, and they were yelling and screaming. And I thought, after that, I said to myself, oh, thank God I don't have a temper. And so, okay. So anyway, time went on, and then there was um, a boxing on the TV, and it was hyped up to be one of the greatest fights ever. And I was so in tune to it. And so that was the night. I sat down in the living room. My father was with me. And we're sitting down and watching. I was all into it. And I think came into it about the fourth or fifth round. And then my little sister was about 10 or 11 years old at that time. And she walked in the room and she said, uh, I know who won the fight. And she blurted it out because it was a little bit delayed. I stood up from my chair and I started yelling at my sister, going off. And my father looked at me and he had never seen me like that. And he thought I was crazy. <laughs> And then I, was, then I sat down, and all of a sudden, I felt like God told me, so you don't have a temper, huh? <laughs> and I thought, oh, God. But one thing, you know, God hates sin. That's in the Bible. But yet God loves sinners. He hates the sin in our life, and he loves the sinner, which is us. Why does God hate sin, first of all? Because it causes destruction, it causes pain, and even death. It robs you of your destiny. It robs you of knowing God and to become like Him. All of us face it every day. And, you know, we think of sin like killing, doing drugs, sexual immorality, robbing. They're all sins. But sin even goes beyond that. It goes beyond not putting God first in our life. And also like things like we make promises to God and we break it. I remember telling God um, recently, okay, God, I'm going to stay half an hour. I'm not going to get nothing with me. I'm just going to leave my computer, my iPad, my phone all away from me. And I'm just going to sit there or lie there and just wait for you. And that didn't last too long. <laughs> it lasts a couple of days. <laughs> Uh, Romans 7, Paul said this, I do not understand what I do, for what I do, I do not do. But what I hate to do 
if I do what is not want to do, I agree that the law is good. It is as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. You guys understand that? <laughs> Paul was wrestling in his heart about doing good before the Lord and not. And he realized that there was sin in his body that was battling. Now, Paul, when you look at his life, he was blinded by light, Jesus Christ himself. He had a mighty revelation of who God was and is. God spoke to him. He wrote, they say, 13 books of the New Testament of 27. Imagine a guy with a mighty revelation and he wrote a book. And yet, he himself said he had to struggle with sin at times in his life. All of us have that. I mean, it pops up here and there. I know this the other week, a couple weeks ago, my neighbor, he was so frustrated with his tree in his yard because the association wanted it. And I have one, and I kind of maintained it enough. And, you know, it, the tree is a problem to all of us. And he told me, I'm going to cut this tree down. And his tree was really big. And the first thing that came into my mind, because I, I don't like the tree in our yard either, something came up and told me, I mean, I said, in my mind, I said, I got an idea for you. <laughs> I was going to tell him what to do. I was going to tell him how to poison it and then chop it down, <laughs> saying that it died. And then all of a sudden, I caught myself, and I said, where I came from anyway? That's not right. So I didn't do anything. But sin, a lot of times, just pops up. And it popped up. And, a lot, and the Bible says that sin, you know, when we continue in it, causes guilt and condemnation. When Adam and Eve was in the garden, the first thing that when they sinned, what did they do? They hid because there's a guilt that came upon their life. And we carry guilt on our lives, and guilt does many things. And how many of us ever felt like God was mad with you? <laughs> because you think, why is all of this happening to me? Did I do something wrong? What sin did I cause? And a lot of times we carry this guilt on us. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in uh, Isaiah 54, 9, it says this, Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never be angry and punish you. That is God's promise to you, to you when you become his child. He will never be displeased. He will never be angry or furious with your life. It's kind of hard to believe in the human aspect, thinking your mind that way. But that's what the Bible says. That God is not angry with you today and forever. Jesus, why? Because Jesus paid the price for our sins. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything 
be cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is this. It's defined this way. Release from bondage or imprisonment. Forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they never been committed. Remission of the penalty. When Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, It is finished. Once and for all, the penalty and the price of sin was paid once and for all. Think about that. Letting them go as if they'd never been committed. Forgiveness of all sins. The Bible says this, that God has forgiven or pardoned us of all our sin. According to Ephesians 7, uh, 1, 7, it says that in him we have redemption, that is our deliverance and salvation through his blood, which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and pardon of our sin according to the riches of his grace. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says, Who delivered us from so great a debt, does deliver us in whom we trust, he will still deliver. In other words, the scripture is saying that salvation is a moment when you receive Christ, but it's also an ongoing process. And in this scripture, it says that we are forgiven of our past or penalty of our sin. Present, we are delivered from the power of sin now, and in the future, the power, the deliverance from the presence of sin in our life. God will continue to change our life, and he has already forgiven us when we come before him and ask for forgiveness. We grow into becoming like Christ. And I remember when a, a story of a friend told us that they brought a friend to church, received the Lord that night. They went to a um, movie theater, and in the movie theater, something went wrong with the uh, uh, projecting all, and the friend who just received Christ stood up and started yelling <laughs> at the theater because of what was happening. And just like for us, God is continually changing us into his image. So what does it mean that when we, got, we are forgiven? Number one is that he removes us, removes our sins. Psalms 103, 11, 12, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. How far is the east if you go that way? And far. How far is the west that goes that way? Far. It goes beyond. Far, far, far. The word removed is to go away, to be removed, to become distant from us. The second thing is, remember it, God doesn't remember our sin anymore. This is my covenant that I'll make with you after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them, then he adds, their sins and lawless deeds will I remember no more. In other words, God is not going to remember or bring... Recall, you know, a lot of times when we fight couples, that's why when we fight and um, sometimes couples bring up, you remember when you did this to me? <laughs> I'm going to say that. Okay. When we first got married, we made a ground rule. Never bring up the past. <laughs> so that way we don't get into more fights. <laughs> but 
Think about that. God is saying, He doesn't remember your sin. You know, especially guys, you know, my wife always said, Did you remember to do this? And I always say, uh, No. <laughs> well, God is like that, He doesn't remember. <laughs> He doesn't remember our sin. <laughs> Amen, man. <laughs> she always has to remind me <laughs> when I forget. Uh, but God doesn't remember. Imagine that. Because of Jesus and what he's done, did on the cross for us. He shed his blood for us. And we can rejoice in that. The other thing, too, is that he cleanses us. If we walk in the light, he's in the light. We have fellowship one to another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So God is continuing to cleanse us. The description is from purity, guilt of sin, uh, cleansing of our lives, of our faults and all. So as I pass the baton to Pastor Zach, I just want to say that don't beat yourself up on the past and the present and even the future to come because God does not condemn your life today. Amen. Well, that's so good. So, so men, we're like God. That's good stuff right there. <laughs> The only thing I took away, and I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, Father's Day, and I just want to honor uh, Pastor John, Pastor Lance, and Pastor Eddie again because they've been such amazing uh, mentors and teachers and father figures in, in my life personally and to the life of the church. I mean, Pastor Eddie founded the church many years ago. Can't remember how many, over 40 now. And so, uh, can we just honor them? If you guys could stand up and we can honor you guys and give you a hand, please. Come on, stand up. What the heck? Where's Pastor? There you are. Thank you. Thank you. So good. They, that, that, that's the, the humility right there. Like, I don't want to stand up. So you just got to make them stand up. <laughs> but I have the opportunity. So we talked about sin and its presence in our lives. And then we talked about how God doesn't remember our sins and how we're forgiven of those things. Amen. And those are the forgiveness aspect, hands down, awesome, right? But there's something else that happens when we come to God and we come to know him. Okay? There's this thing called justification and righteousness that happens in our lives. Okay? We are justified by Jesus' finished work on the cross and he Gives us his righteousness. Amen. That's so good. That is so good for us because it puts us in a right standing with the Father. Where we can come to him. Because God is perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He has no sin. He can't even look upon sin. We would not be able to be in his presence. And when we have worship, we wouldn't be able to be in his presence. Because of sin in our lives. But because of what Jesus has done and him forgi forgiving our sins through his sacrifice on the cross, we are brought into right standing with God and we're able to be in his presence. 
Adam and Eve were in the garden with God. They walked with him. They talked with him. Sin entered the world, and they were banished from the garden. They were no longer able to be in his presence anymore. But because Jesus came, the veil was torn. Now we can be with God again. We can be in his presence again, and that's such an amazing thing. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11, talks about righteousness through faith in Christ. Because it's like, how, how, how do I be righteous? How do I, uh, how do I gain this righteousness? It's through faith. And Paul, uh, Paul gives a great account of how this happens. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is, to, is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who uh, mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is not in the flesh. It is in the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Because we can try our hardest, we can do our best to be good, to be holy, to be righteous, to do all the right things. And we still end up failing in some way, shape, or form because Jesus set the bar too high. You see that? When, when, when Jesus was talking about lust and, and whatnot, he said, if you commit adultery, yeah, let's take it a step further. Even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's a whole new level. You think our thoughts don't matter, but they do. They do. And so we can't put our confidence in the flesh and what we can do. It's all about what Jesus has already done. Verse 4, through, though my, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul said he has more confidence in the flesh than everybody else. He has a major confidence. And this is why. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. How many of you can say that about yourselves? I certainly can't. You know, I was thinking about it. I, I wouldn't have any confidence in my flesh because th this is what it would kind of say about me. You know, like I have been circumcised on the sixth day, not the eighth, the sixth day, a Gentile of Gentiles of no importance, scared of being persecuted and full of blame. You know, like I know I'm messed up. I know that I have issues. And I cannot put any of my confidence in what I can do. Because I know if left to my own devices, I will fail and I will mess up every single time. I don't trust myself. <laughs> I don't trust myself. But when I came to Christ, oh man. When I came to Christ, I had everything to gain. I had everything to gain. Everything to gain. You know, some of you are like me, where you had everything to gain. Some of you are like Paul. Maybe you lost everything in order to gain Christ. And that's what we're going to read about in a little bit. 
Verse 7, it says, But whoever gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may may his sufferings become like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in jesus christ you know i struggle to live up to the law i failed to live up to the law you know it's hard to not lie to lust, to steal, covet what I don't have. It's hard to do those things. Especially when we, take, when we think about it from the level that Jesus and the perspective that Jesus offered to us. It's hard because it takes it down to a deeper level of what goes on in our hearts and our minds and, and what we think about and what we see and what we don't say. It's a whole new level. And in Romans 3, I, I know these are long, but Romans 3 Paul gives us a, a, a great truth that I really believe that helps set us free from these things. The lie that you, you are righteous and are justified through the works that you do. You know, it's all through our faith in the finished work of Jesus. You are made right with God because of Jesus' sacrifice, because you have faith in what he did on the cross and who he is. That is where your righteousness comes from. That is where you're justified. So Romans 3, verses 21 to 28, the righteousness of God through faith. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because of your faith in Jesus, you are justified. Because of God's righteous act, he has given you his righteousness. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You are justified and made righteous not by what you do or don't do. Amen? Not by what you do or you don't do, but it's by your faith in the person, power, and finished work of Jesus Christ. So good. So we'd like to end uh, this, this morning with communion. Switch things up a bit. Before we jump into that, I want to read... Uh, read something. Because it's God and God alone who makes, makes you righteous. 
He's the one who makes you, he makes you perfect in his eyes. Amen. We're messed up, but God is perfect. And he attributes his attributes to us. And it's such an amazing thing. And I love that, that when he looks upon us, that, all, that he sees us in love. So, <clears throat> the students in a sculptor's studio came for their last day of lessons. For several months, they had tried to apply what they learned from the teacher. Their one assignment for the course was to create a statue that symbolized the perfection of man. Now, each student stood behind his or her finished work, waiting for the teacher's evaluation. The first student's statue looked pretty good to the untrained eye. The impressive image appeared to be without flaws. The skilled teacher took one look and remarked, nope. This one will not do. You have his eyes looking down. The teacher went on to the next student whose statue looked even better than the first. But once again, the teacher noticed the flaw. No, this one does not pass. You have his eyes closed. The third student's statue did not have the same graceful curves as the other two. The features of the face were not sharp and striking. While he was working on his statue, a large crack had occurred right in the middle of the stone. Try as he did, the crack was impossible to hide. The student hung his head down, expecting to hear the same judgment upon his work as the others. Yes, this is what I'm looking for. Look at the eyes. They're looking up. Taking aback, the third student asked his teacher, Master, I do not fully understand. My work is marred with the obvious defect, and my craftsmanship is awful when compared to the other statues. What is so important about the eyes? The sculptor looked at all his students and said the first two statues were made with the hopes of being judged perfect. But the man who looks away from God will never be made perfect. However, the man who looks up towards God will be made perfect by him despite his many flaws. So good. And so, Lord, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And we look to you. We lift our eyes up from our situation. We lift our eyes up out of the mud. And we place them on you and what you have done and who you are. We place our eyes on you. And so we remember you this morning. And we thank you. Luke 22, 19 through 20. Says he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for your body that has been broken for us, for our healing. You suffered so that so that we wouldn't have to die the death that we should have died. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Jesus' name, let me partake of the bread. And likewise, the cup after they, likewise the cup after they'd eaten, saying, "This cup is poured out for you. It is a new covenant in my blood." Lord, we thank you for your blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sin and that your finished work on the cross has brought us near to you. That through our faith in you, we are justified and through your finished work, we are made righteous. Lord, we thank you so much. We honor you and we bless you and we remember you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You may partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. If you stand together and let's, uh, let's close with the Apostles' Creed this morning. Amen. Can we give a hand for Pastor Zach? That was a great word.